Thank you, Parker and Ensemble, and Dan and Instrumentalists for our beautiful worship today. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Paul's letter, what I believe was his favorite church, the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, that's familiar to our hearts today. Indeed, like Paul, longed to see the church at Philippi, I long to see you and, and hope the days aren't too many. Our stress levels are off the chart, aren't they? To be sure, we need to take ordinary care and precautions. There's some ways in which the coronavirus pandemic has become a brutal psychological test. Admit it or not, public health crisis takes its mental toll on all of us. Folks are struggling with anxiety and depression and overwhelming fear. And we're grieving too, aren't we? We've lost our routines, the rhythm of our lives that makes everyday life predictable and bearable and comfortable. We've lost our friends too, haven't we? The ones that we interact with every day and now no longer can we see them. And we've lost the perception, we grieve the perception that we ourselves are generally healthy and protected and this cannot ever happen to us. Crisis also reveals who we really are, doesn't it? The crisis brings out the best and the worst in people. Francis Collins, the director of the National Institute of Health, said in an interview with the Washington Post, as in all things, it comes down to a balance between having a reasonable concern, especially if it motivates to actions that can reduce risk, versus having it take over your entire world to the point where you become paralyzed. Stress, worry, anxiety, all impact our health. Wake Forest University found out in a study that cancer cells in animals are fueled by anxiety and worry. And Yale University found that worry and anxiety actually can shrink the brain. The Journal of Molecular Psychiatry found that Worry and stress even impacts children and prematurely ages them. The U.S. National Institute of Mental Health discovered that stress can cause us to fall into depression. And Penn State research suggests that stress causes all chronic diseases to increase. And the Journal of Neurology and Neurosurgery and Psychiatry says that stress raises the rate of strokes or increases stroke risk. Columbia University Medical Center concluded that being in a stressful situation increases the risk of a heart attack by the same amount as smoking five cigarettes a day or 27% higher. Carnegie Mellon University found that stress even makes a common cold worse. We can literally worry ourselves to death. One of the things people are anxious about today is getting a haircut. I don't know if you noticed, but Dan Baker looks like a music evangelist these days with that long hair. 
I found the answer for you, Daniel, in yesterday's paper. It is steps to cutting your own hair during the coronavirus shutdown. If you didn't get yesterday's newspaper, you can still go online. And it's really four steps, and you can give yourself your own haircut. There is a version for women, and there is a version for men. And uh, you just follow these steps. You don't need many tools. A large mirror, a small mirror, a pair of sharp sitters, a brush or a comb. And, well, you can look all new again. I've run into a few people around town. They'll say, you won't believe this, but my wife gave me a haircut. Yeah, I believe it, uh, fella. It's quite evident that your wife is giving you a haircut these days. Well, we've learned that our, our hairstylist, our barber, our beautician, our beauty operator is more important than ever before, but it causes us worry. You look in the mirror and you wonder, don't you, Dan? When shall I ever, ever be able to get another haircut? Worries in our life come up and surprise us. The small things now have become really, really big things in our life. Some people like to worry for a hobby, don't they? There's always something to worry about. Some people just manufacture something. There's a fascinating book written by a psychologist William Van Orman, Ph.D., called A Thousand Frightening Fantasies. A Thousand Frightening Fantasies. It's a book that some folks find helpful. At one point in the book, he says, our minds are like an airport that's always open. Our minds are like an airport that's always open. No sooner does one plane leave until another plane is ready to land. So it is with people who are chronic worriers. They have some problem or worry of conscience. He or she may get rid of that particular problem by going to see the pastor or the counselor or someone else in their life, a good friend, a therapist, a psychologist, and well, just as soon as they get that plane out of their airport of their worry, here comes another one circling, ready to take its place. So just as quickly as we work through one worry, we allow another worry to come and occupy our minds. Some of us here this morning, some of you listening to me by way of television, need to close down the airports of your mind. Shut down the runways, the runways of anxiety and stress and worry. Worry robs us of way too much. Worry is really borrowing, isn't it? It's saying that today doesn't have enough troubles for its own. And so I'll look into the future, I'll look into tomorrow, and I'll pull some of the things that might happen, and I'll go ahead and worry about those today because today doesn't have enough to worry about in my life. Worry is borrowing tomorrow's troubles. It paints such a gloomy, shocking, dreadful picture of our, of our futures. Our message this morning is a message of hope. Worry robs us of hope. When we borrow tomorrow's problems, we rob ourselves of today's hope. Worry distorts our thinking. We begin looking at life through a magnifying glass, and all of a sudden our molehills become mountains because 
we have a distortion in making our problems bigger than they really, really are. Everyone watching this morning, everyone caught at home in this pandemic has had some level of anxiety and worry. All of our care and all of our concerns, a new wave every single day. Seven ways God's folks can handle worry. First of all, live in harmony with God's people. Live in harmony with God's people. Look at there, he says in verse 2, I, ver- I urge you, Odia and Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. I long to see you, he says to the church of Philippi, and I'm urging you to live in harmony with God's people. We don't know what these two good women were going through, Yodia and Syntyche, but we know that Paul urges them to live in harmony with the church, to live in harmony with God's people, to live in harmony with each other. Dr. Hallowell, leading expert on worry, has discovered that being involved with others is a great way to lessen our problems and our worries. John Leo, writing for the U.S. News and World Report, discovered that the birth of twins is actually on the rise. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? He concludes, I guess little children are now afraid to come into this world alone. They want to come in with a partner. And so more babies are trying to be born with a womb mate there. People who feel alone run a much higher risk for illness According to this article in U.S. News and World Report, and this pandemic in some ways has robbed us of that thing which for the folks at First Baptist Church and I'm sure for the folks at other congregations is our primary source of comfort is the gathering together of God's people as part of the rhythm of our lives. And we have been robbed of that opportunity of being together in this room with this people or you being gathered together with your church family in your sanctuary. But we have found new ways, haven't we? New ways of gathering together with God's people. New ways of staying in touch. Our Sunday school classes have been doing a great job with Zoom and other techniques of going on and having their Bible study lesson. People are checking on each other by way of telephone. Just because we can't be in each other's physical presence doesn't mean that we can't be the presence of Christ for each other right now. Be sure that you join with the people of God. Or as Paul says to Yodica and Syntyche, live in harmony with the people of God. The first thing we need to do is stay connected in whatever way we can find with our church family. Stay in touch with the people of God. Another thing we can do is focus on others. Notice what he says to his true comrade in verse 3. Indeed, true comrade. Now, we don't know. Some translations say yoke fellow. This is a companion in ministry and mission of Paul. Luke had been at Philippi, left behind. If you read the Acts of the Apostles, the we sections that we've been doing on Sunday nights. And again, we'll have that study tonight live on the radio at 6 o'clock at 
point one, we continue in Acts, and we've discovered there that Luke was probably the yoke fellow or the true comrade here. I urge you, Luke, or whoever it might be, I love you, I, I urge you, true comrade, yoke fellow, to help these women. Focus on others during a time of worry. Amy Flowers, a psychologist, states that when she serves at the beverage lady at a local soup kitchen each week, those problems are poverty and homelessness and some who have paralyzing disabilities. She realizes as she focuses in caring on others that her problems aren't nearly as big and scary as she thought before. One way to get rid of worry is to help others. As he commands Luke, help these ladies. Focus on others. By definition, worry is a self-centering exercise. When we worry, we're saying to ourselves, I'm going to think about my problems and myself and how bad the world is for me, myself, and I. Well, not only gather with the people of God, but secondly, he's telling us here to focus on others, not our illusionary would-be, could-be problems. Right now, in the midst of the difficulty we find ourselves, who needs your help and how can you help her? Who needs my help and how can I help him? How can I safely reach out and help that person that needs my help? I've tried to think about people in our community, that elderly people who don't have children that live here in the community who can't get to them. Maybe that's a good place for you to start, too. That's where I have started. How would I want someone to treat my parents if they were in a city away from me? Who is it that you know who needs the care of someone who can go to the grocery store? Maybe it's a phone call. Is there something you need? I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to the drug store. I don't mind picking something up and placing it on your, your doorstep. Is there some way that I can take care of you? Or calling people that you know might be absolutely alone in their home right now. Folks that are isolated away from family and friends. The more you focus on others, the more you'll realize that your own problems, your own worries, your own anxieties, find a level of perspective. Well, there's a third way, and that is be truthful, admit your fears. Be truthful, admit your fears. Look at verse 6. Make your requests made known to God. Maybe you're afraid of the word furlough. Maybe you're afraid about losing your job or losing a paycheck for a while, or maybe there's anxiety, you don't have a job, and you're looking for a job in the, one of the worst job markets we've, we've had in a long while. Be honest about that. When you deny your fears and your worries, they just begin to compound with inside, and so take a moment and have an honest conversation with God, or have an honest conversation with a godly man or a woman, and say, this is what worries me. Something about being forthright and honest and sharing your fears and worries that allows them to find a sense of healing. Acknowledge your fears. Well, number four, 
realize most of what you're anxious about will never take place. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Realize most of what you're anxious about will never, ever come to pass. It was a Mark Twain who said, insightful, I've been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. I've been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. Did you hear that? How many times do you put yourself through stress and anxiety and emotions about terrible things that might happen that never do actually ever happen? I've been through some terrible things in my life, a few of things which actually happen. But most of those things do not actually happen, do they? We worry a whole lot more about what never happens than we do about dealing with what actually happens in our lives. Do not borrow tomorrow's worries. I read one study that said, of the things that we worry about, that's 100%. Let's break those things down. They interview people about what they worry about. Of the things we worry about, that's 100%. 40% of the things will never, ever happen. 40% of the things that you worry about will never, ever happen. 30% of the things that you worry about have already happened in the past. And there's nothing you can do to change them. 30% of the things that you worry about happened in the past. And there's nothing you can do to change them. That's 70%. Things that will never happen and things that happened in the past from which you need to move on. Forgive and forget. 12% of the things that we worry about are criticism from others. Criticism from others, which, well, some of it's true, some of it's untrue, but you can't control that, is it? Well, 12% is criticism from others. And 10% of the things that we worry about are our, is our health, which actually only gets worse with stress. So of the 100%, we're down to 8% of the things that we worry about are real problems that we can face and solve. 8% of the 100% are real problems that you can acknowledge, face, and solve. Sometimes we create more problems worrying about things that will never happen or things that happened yesterday or things that might happen in the future. We create more problems trying to solve the problems that haven't happened yet than we do if we just leave things alone. I read an article about two gentlemen. They were kind of senior adults themselves by now. They had a 90-something-year-old mother in Fort Worth, Texas, and she was still driving, still shopping, still getting out and about, and they were worried they're giving her age and her slow movement that someone was going to take advantage of her. And so they wanted her to get licensed to carry a firearm. And so they took mama and they got her licensed to carry a firearm. I, I'm not sure it's a great idea for a lot of 90-year-old women to pack heat, but this woman was packing heat in Fort Worth and her sons insisted on it. I think they were worrying about her getting robbed and really it seems to me they were trying to buy themselves a sense of peace of mind more than they were trying to protect their mother. And so they bought her the gun, trained her on how to use the gun, and she was put, uh, packing the pistol in her purse. And she went to the Ridgemar Shopping Center. Those of you familiar with Fort Worth know this Ridgemar Mall. And 
She came out of the mall, and she went out to get in her car, and she got in the car, and there were two men in her car. She took out the pistol from her purse. They didn't expect that. She aimed it right at their heads and said, you get out of my car. I'm going to shoot you right now. These two guys got out of the car, and they fled from the scene, and man, her heart was beating. She locked the door. She set the pistol down. They were long gone by now. She put the key in the car, and it wouldn't fit. You see, it, it was their car. It, it wasn't her car and she said she felt terrible about it and uh, she'd become a car thief because her sons had given her a gun and she tried to find the fellows to apologize but they were nowhere to be found uh, she did find her car but they were not still around sometimes we create more problems trying to solve problems that never ever existed well there's a fifth thing adjust your attitude notice what he says in verse 6 with thanksgiving, or in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Number five, we need to adjust our attitude. Don't deny our problems, but confess them with a heart of thanksgiving. Now, you might be saying, well, that's the Apostle Paul saying. That's easy for him to say. He's Paul, and he's an apostle. What does he have to worry about? When Paul pens this letter, he is most likely in a Roman prison awaiting the word where he will be executed or be set free. In fact, he writes in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. Paul is in a much worse circumstance than we are. Paul is in prison He's restrained. He's waiting for that word that gives him back his life or brings his death. And Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And if I die, that'll even be better. That will be gained. Paul sits and waits for the word that saves his life or takes his life. And in the midst of that, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Have a heart of thanksgiving. Have a heart of thanksgiving. Number six, Paul says to pray. Paul says to pray, let your requests be made known to God. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, why pray when you can worry? Well, that's not far off. There's a Jamaican proverb that summarizes the biblical view pretty well. The proverb states, if you're going to pray, don't worry. If you're going to worry, don't pray. You can't have it both ways. If you're going to pray, don't worry. If you're going to worry, then don't pray. Take your prayers to God. Well, there's a, a seventh thing. Keep your mind on what matters. The other day I turned on my radio, and you know what it was talking about, the coronavirus, COVID-19. If you open up the newspaper, the front page story every single day, and when I turn on my radio, I thought, how many months will it be till one day I can get my car and turn on my radio and no one will say anything about this pandemic? How I long to be able to turn on my radio and hear some good news, some news about something other than the virus. 
You can't sit in front of the television all day long. The media spends it all day long telling us how horrible it could be, it should be, it might be. Of course, things are bad. They're even worse right now in Amarillo. And I'm not telling you not to take precautions, but I am telling you that the broadcaster stock and trade is that which is unholy and unjust and impure and ugly and of ill repute and vicious and blameworthy. We we can't be ostriches and stick our head in the stand, but we also cannot sit 24-7 in front of this pounding bad news, this COVID-19 coverage. In fact, what he tells us here is to think about things that are honorable. Look at verse 8. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in any of these things, let your mind dwell on these things. I imagine in my mind a new news channel that mostly brought good news and maybe even told good stories out of this pandemic where people were helping each other and loving each other and maybe broken relationships are being restored. Occasionally the news will do a positive story. What if we had a station that told mostly positive stories and occasionally did a negative story? That's what Paul's saying. Whatever is honorable, man, whatever is right, Think about something that's lovely, something that's worthy of praise. Think about these things. There's an old Quaker story about a king who wanted to do an inventory of all the flowers in his kingdom. He sent out a census taker with a clipboard to count all the flowers in the fields of the kingdom. And he realized that really wouldn't give him anything to compare to. So he brought in a second census taker and told that gentleman with a clipboard to go out and count all the weeds that were in the kingdom. They went out and they each did their job, one counting the flowers of the field, another counting the weeds in the king's world and Eventually, the gentleman counting the flowers came back in and said, this is the most lovely kingdom. Please never transfer me and my family out of here. We are full of the flowers of the field. This is fabulous. And then just a few moments later, the second census taker came in and said, I want to leave this kingdom immediately. We are overtaken by weeds. Do you realize how many weeds are out there? Of course, the moral of the old Quaker story is this. You'll find whatever you're looking for. Are you looking for that which is good and beautiful, that which is praiseworthy and excellent and good? Seven ways for God's people to overcome worry. Sometimes I wonder if we're caught in a dream, the possibility of waking up in our old world If not a dream, sometimes I wonder if I'm simply reading a hastily written science fiction novel where baseball teams play in isolation to empty stadiums and preachers preach to pews and kids find a classroom on their own couch. Unfortunately, I always rouse to find that I'm wide awake and that this is fact and not fiction. But I learned a long time ago, we cannot control much, but we can control how we respond. Do we, as God's people, respond with fear or with faith, with hope 
or with hysteria, with panic or with prayer. In the maze of this present madness, respond with patience, grace, and love. Of course, follow the experts and take all the precautions, but even in the midst of all that, be the presence of Christ. He begins by saying there in verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, my church family that I long to see, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. And the peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then closing in verse 9, the God of peace, God of shalom, the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. It tells us how to make it through worry. For Paul himself, placed in prison, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice and think about the positive things. Don't sit and ponder what Nero might decide. Rather, think about the trustworthy things, the praiseworthy things, and the peace of God, a peace that is beyond anything we can understand. Fulfill our hearts and minds in worship. Amen.